0: day everyone this is Dave Pounder and welcome to the gate 15 pod channel right now you can still find Andy Jen and I talking about all hazards issues on our on this regular channel but for now we're going to be doing something a little bit different and we're going to explore a new format and podcast with centered on security topics around physical security terrorism and extremist ideas amongst other topics and like the regular gate 15 pod we will meet on a regular basis and discuss these areas. So we're still looking for a name. So if any of our loyal listeners have suggestions, we're open to that. And we'll see what comes out of that. But bringing it back to this podcast, we're kicking off with a panel discussion with some great guests and also Andy Jabor, who's our Gate 15 uh, patriarch. So, first, let me introduce. I'm um, a terrorism expert as well as an avid San Francisco 49ers fan. Her love for Jimmy G, amongst other things, is well, you know, well documented on her Twitter uh, page, amongst other places. So, let's welcome Bridget Johnson. Bridget, hello. Good day.
1: Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, we really appreciate you joining us today. Um, enough i met travis through work at 8:15, 15 and then we had this shared uh realization that our boys both played lacrosse and so we had the opportunity to link up uh i guess in a couple different places over the last couple summers travis your, your son's now at fairfield i believe and so uh welcome to the podcast travis
2: uh thanks dave glad to be here and um I, did. I don't know if you want to speak up, Maya, but he was going in and out again.
0: All right, let let me try to fix that a little bit more. We, we we'll keep working through some of these audio issues we've got, and and I'll go back and edit and sniff as we can. But um, Travis, thanks for thanks for joining us today, and and we do really appreciate that. Um, and then finally, we have the managing director of team. Uh, the one and only Andy Jabbour. Uh He really needs no introduction, but, you know, he kind of is a blend of both Travis and Bridget. He's, uh, he's unfortunately a uh, lifelong Detroit Lions fan, and, and that's a uh, paper bag level of fandom. But then he also, both of his boys play lacrosse as well, so we've got some shared commonality there. So, Andy, welcome. Thank you, uh, thank you for joining us.
3: Dave, little known fact here, but there's more connection than you think, cause I actually spent the first 10 years or so of my football fandom as a 49ers fan, but the bandwagon got so big, I fell off and, and found my way down to the Lions. So there's more connection there than, than you might imagine.
1: There's always room to come home, Andy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, at least I stayed through the Lions' first uh, Super Bowl win, which, which could, be, could be a minute coming still, but, but I appreciate the offer.
1: Yeah, we almost won. So, and then there was an article yesterday that said that if we had one and there had been a parade, a lot of people could have gotten infected with coronavirus. So Jimmy G actually saved us from all getting coronavirus in San
3: Francisco. He knew. He knew. Thank you, Jimmy G. Thank you, Jimmy. Yes. Yes. Jimmy you G- know, being down,
0: <laughs> nice. being down in Florida, we're actually tracking it now. Now, now, granted, we've only gone uh, full restrictions here the cl- past couple of weeks, but, you know, we're tracking this back to the Super Bowl, and we actually think the San Francisco people brought it to Florida. That's what we're telling ourselves anyways.
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty brutal, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right.
0: So that, that aside, let, let's kind of get into the topics we're all here to discuss today. Um, Bridget, you just had a great article recently about, um, terrorism and, extremist activities in the world of, you know, the the new COVID environment we're in now. Um, you know, sarcastically speaking, you know, we don't really have any worries from the terrorism side right now moving forward. Or, or would you kind of, you know, or you kind of look at that differently? Well,
1: one of the, the biggest comments that I get whenever I, um, you know, publish a, an update on what terror groups are talking about in in, in the the coronavirus epidemic, is um, people are kind of stunned. It's like, wait a second, it seems like they've been following this, you know, for longer than some of our leaders, and there there is um, you know uh, documented um, messaging and and articles and and online conversations, you know, among terror groups about coronavirus going back to at least about January and um, at first you know there was kind of a a lot of gloating that you know oh you know it's going to get everybody it's not going to get us Um, then there was kind of a a sobering as it started to spread Um, and you saw terror groups uh, come out with their own you know tips on how their members could stay safe and And you know what 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 they could do for social distancing, um, which we wish that suicide bombers practice, but they don't. Um, And so now it's kind of bounced back into um, a realm of where the terror terror groups are. looking at the the, the the crisis and then deciding you know how you know it can be spun to their advantage. Al Qaeda is kind of taking the lead on this to a great extent. Um, and they're really emphasizing the um, uh, their their longtime messaging on how if you want to hit America, you need to hit America economically. Um, and then uh, terror groups are also, Uh, using this to say uh, if this can happen in nature, this is also something that can be released deliberately. So if you look at the effects of what this is taking on societies, imagine what could be done with some enterprising uh, lone jihadists uh, working with um, chemical, biological, or radiological agents. Um, What we're also seeing a lot of is... um, just kind of the the core messaging of extremism being boosted saying that you know this pandemic is an act of god and that um you know certain societies are being struck down for being immoral so therefore people who are thinking about um you know coming on board some sort of jihad or white supremacist extremism um, that's also underpinned by convoluted religious beliefs that they can use the uh, this act of God as an excuse to kind of draw closer to the this um, putting this extremism into action. Um, we're seeing a lot of a white supremacist and uh, militia propaganda um, escalating. Um, they're really trying to either spin this as a conspiracy theory as a you know as a big giant um you know hoax is being perpetrated on specific people or perpetrated by specific groups um, particularly eth- ethnic minorities and jews um, are, are getting a lot of um the the the, the, the brunt of, of white supremacist propaganda right now um and then so, so- we're
2: also,
1: i'm sorry
0: so let me jump in there real quick, Bridget, because I think you brought up a, a lot of great points, especially as you look at some of the white extremist groups and these nationalist groups. I mean, d- does the, the the restrictions and the lockdowns, does that kind of, you know, does that give them extra time and extra time to stew and think about these conspiratorial uh, themes and, and also planning time. Does this give them the opportunity to say, hey, I've got nothing better to do, might as well pull out that old plan I was gonna go do and I was gonna attack that group the other day. I mean, I, I don't mean to say that flippantly, but I mean, really does this, I mean, they, the restrictions and the stay at home orders, I mean, you got nothing else to do. I mean, you could surf the internet or you could you know, play social media games, but I mean, this might work for their advantage.
1: Right, and you've also had kind of a perfect storm brewing up to this point, too, if you think about online extremism. Because you have everything that Al-Qaeda and ISIS have put together, some really practical how-to guides as far as committing attacks, um, picking methods and targets, um, and those are all open source online. You know, you can really easily go find them. Um, you know, there's currently a book of Anwar al-Awlaki's that's been on sale at barnesandnoble.com for forever. <laughs> I have no idea why it's still up, but, um, but for a while there, Al-Qaeda was even self-publishing some of their Inspire magazines, which had bomb-making instructions on sites like Barnes & Noble. Um, but they're also just really easily accessible out there, so it's what I call uh, universal jihad. Uh, it doesn't matter what group you're ascribing to, you know, if you're a white nationalist, um, you know, if you're an Islamic jihadist, all of these materials are out there for you to use. And not only the materials are out there to use, but the, the blueprints that ISIS um, particularly laid down um, through their heyday when um, they learned how to use social media to their best advantage. Um, where they learned that, you know, they they, they kind of laid out how you can recruit without a person stepping foot in a training camp, Um, you know, how you can get somebody to wage an attack in the name of a certain ideology, um, where they are so they don't need to travel at all. But they're still getting feedback from like-minded people online. They're still getting um, practical tutorial instructions on how to commit some of these attacks. And the other part of the perfect storm is that uh, white supremacists, uh, where they congregate online, uh, these are not policed to the same extent that Islamic extremist forums would be. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of, um, you know, hand-reading on Capitol Hill um, just before the pandemic struck about, you know, how, how are you going to, you know, get... Um, companies to crack down on some of this ex- extremism while not cracking down on free speech and while there's not actually a domestic terrorism statute. So, um, so a lot of these um, you know, nationalists and, and white supremacists are operating very freely, very openly online, and they're able to do that while taking advantage of this giant knowledge base that's out there. Um, and they're doing it now in a time of crisis. Where people are scared, people are more prone to accepting conspiracy theories, um, and wanting scapegoats, and you know, so they're they're really you know whipping up people into the type of recruits that they would want.
0: Yeah, there's so many great points in there. I, I mean, I, I think this is something, and, and we're gonna circle back to this in a, in a couple minutes here, but uh, I want to switch over to Travis. Um, Travis, you know, with, with the COVID uh, restrictions in place, you know, we've started seeing, well, over the last couple of years, really, we've seen drones starting to be adapted and used in a lot of variety of different ways, both by, you know, governments and law enforcement, also by, um, you know, threat actors and such. But, you know, now we're starting to see them really apply to the surveillance, you know, process domestically. But also, we also received a new, um, you know, policy document or guidance out from the DOJ just this week. You know, how, how, what do you think about those measures that's been going on as it relates to what's currently how drones are being applied?
2: Well, it's a, it's complicated. Obviously, I'll uh, the Attorney General's guidance. I'll leave you know for a little bit later in the discussion because that gets into the whole really it's more targeted towards the counter uh, drone aspect of things Uh, and there are some specific mandates within that that are going to apply to these uh, state and locals and localities the attorney general's guidance is basically just for DOJ components but once it's promulgated it really tends to be the law of the land in terms of policy and the state and locals fall in line but we can talk about that later as far as you know, just drones being used in in the COVID context. I mean, we're seeing them, and primarily um, in in Asian countries to include, you know, South Korea and China in particular to do detection. Um, you know, they're using them to for for, for cough signatures through through you know, through AI uh, algorithms. Um, and for also temperature readings and things of this nature. We're not, haven't seen that so much in the more democratized parts of the world and what we're seeing in mostly our part of the world and Western part of the world is using them for, you know, loudspeakers or monitoring people's movements during uh, lockdowns um, and things of that nature. And it's, um, you know, it's becoming problematic uh, in terms of of, of the privacy piece and there's being more and more uh, pushback on that uh, from, you know, not just individuals, but, you know, constitutionalists. And there's a piece of the Attorney General's guidance that speaks right to that part whereby they're prohibited from using them uh, for any kind of monitoring any kind of protected activity. It does not have one of those little teeny uh, check marks that regard that authority. Um, in terms of the more nuanced uh, and perhaps legitimate uses of them in in this particular time uh, are medical delivery. Um, but the problem there is that you're mostly talking about dry products, masks, defibrillators, some medications, et cetera. Uh, because when you think about taking, sending, delivering biological materials, such as you know COVID-19 tests um, in a what's called a beyond visual line of sight, meaning where you don't have to have a person watching the drone from point A all the way to point B it's really complicated, not from just the, 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 the standpoint of doing it, but the regulatory framework. You layer then on top of the FDA regulation, NIH, C, CDC, HHS, FAA rule delivering material without someone, a human being in the chain. And you can see that I think the rules uh, on that are staggering. So I think the, the real proposition for the near term uh, for those kinds of uh, medical uses are going to be just exactly that, you know, the dry goods.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because I think in times of crisis, and, and again, you know, they say the same thing about wartime is, is that it causes the the units or the elements involved to really adapt and streamline those, those processes. And, and you are know, going back to you know, the the drones have really blown up since, you know, 2001, and and really started to see them adapt significantly for the terrorism threat, you know, in 2015 through 17, where, you know, ISIS was using them to drop grenades, and and everybody was adapting these things on a much uh, greater frequency. Um, Do you see continued evolution of you know, we're, we, as you mentioned, you just, some of these delivery mechanisms, do you see a continued evolution to potentially threat type of um, e- evolving th- threat, type, threat, threat type activity?
2: Certainly, but and, and, and there are two different vectors to that, right? There's overseas um, and then there's domestic. The overseas policy is much easier because we don't have to do with the regulations and we're mostly talking about sandy spaces uh, whereby it's it's military mil-spec use uh, to counter them. And you have the accessibility to high explosives. And, you, you know, that, that piece of the puzzle is so significant compared to the United States, where it's very, very hard to get a hold of high explosives. You know, you just can't go around and, and get a 20-millimeter or 40-millimeter grenade, attach it to a drone, um, and drop it as you can overseas, or get yourself on Semtex or, or any of the other high explosives, that, which are... Um, you know, more in theater type uh, operational issues for uh, for the battlefield. Here, domestically, um, you know, mass gatherings still are the biggest concern. Uh, and that's really a lot of when you look and delve into the Attorney General's order, a lot of the stuff they're really honing in on is, is mass gatherings. Um, and those are primarily done through several different triggers. Um, and, but, you know, this is again a guidance just for DOJ components, which can be promulgated down, but it's going to require an actual request from a governor to, to cover a, a, uh, uh, some kind of event if it doesn't come under one of those narrow categories. That being said, um, you know, to, to Bridget's points, um, you know, at this particular stage of the game, particularly after what we're seeing with this particular disease, just having an open air event where someone uses a drone and disperses any kind of aerosolized form, whether it's inert or it's uh, actually active, will create uh, a chaos and fear that, you know, would be unimaginable at this particular time. And I think going forward for quite some time, those are, you know, two of the big, one of the big vectors. The other obviously is for using them for bots and, uh, you know, the cyber vulnerabilities of which they're going to be used more and more for. Uh, but again, you know, getting around the regulation and being able to do the all the different things that have to be uh, hurdles that have to get over for any kind of interruption, signal, data storage. And if you really delve into the Attorney General's memorandum, it gets into that as well. The hurdles are great, not just politically, policy-wise, legally, and technically. Um, but again, you know, from the explosive issue, you're talking about pipe bombs and, and low order or homemade explosives versus you know, what we see overseas with high explosives. So yes, the vectors are there. Uh, they will continue to be there. We've been very, very lucky so far um, to that extent. Uh, I just think that the current environment really you know, heightens the, uh, the, the concern and worry uh, of governments, particularly on uh, the biological issue now, whether again, inert or not.
0: Yeah, those are those are all great points. And and switching to Andy, I mean, Andy, listening to both Bridget and, and Travis talk about these two areas, you know, there's some, you know, there's some areas where they bleed into each other and, but they're also in and of themselves extremely dangerous as a, as a threat scenario. When, when you look across, you know, you know, the supported customers out there and those potential organizations that could be impacted by this. What what do you look at and what do you think about when you hear these type of things and, and things that maybe could be areas that uh, are important for organizations to pull out of here to, to possibly move forward with?
3: Yeah, thanks. And and thanks to, to Bridget and Travis for their insights. It's awesome to hear experts talk about what they're very smart in. And both of you can certainly do that probably for hours. Um, I think that the overall concern is just that You touched on this. The adversary has plenty of time to come up with things and a pretty permissive environment right now in which to operate. And so while we're seeing a general decrease in crime because people are, for the most part, staying home and there aren't maybe some of the tempting targets, if you're an extremist and and you're talking about some of the things that Bridget touched on or you're whether professional or just some Yahoo who wants to do something violent with, with a drone or other asymmetrical type threat, the opportunity is still there in abundance. And we've seen you know, specific threats that have been articulated. Um, There's just an arrest in Germany this morning by, by Islamic State-affiliated uh, individuals who were plotting attacks. There was no definite time, but they're planning attacks against American interests in Germany. So we still see that active planning going on right now. And then we think about more conventional type things, even something as simple as we're hearing about with car protests, right? okay, you know, kind of something you can shrug off and laugh at, but if you own a facility or you have operations around the areas that might be being protested, there's a lot of opportunity for a very disgruntled individual to use a a vehicle protest, just as they would a a traditional mass gathering or protest. They can still use that for cover. They can still use the the, the benefit of a lot of people coming together in a fixed place at a known time, and they can use that to carry out acts of, of violence, whether it's using the vehicle in an attack, or it's exiting the vehicle and using that, that assembly as a target, or if they're lashing out because they're frustrated by their personal situation, their work situation, frustrations with a stimulus package, or whatever else it might be, all those same issues are still present in our current environment. And in some cases, they're they're a little bit less, and in some cases, they're a little bit more exaggerated, but the opportunity for violence is still very present, and I think what you know, Bridget's talked to, you. whether it's a domestic extremists or a racially motivated extremist, or an international terrorist, or what Travis is talking about with the, the many ways in which drones can be used domestically internationally, all of those threats are still really there. And so just because some people are working from home, there might be less individuals working in the office, those threats are still present and security still needs to be a consideration we're actively thinking about. And maybe thinking about a little bit more creatively because the adversary has different or maybe in some cases new opportunities that don't exist in our normal routine operations. And I think we just we can't lose sight of that and get complacent because that opens up a, a potential um, opportunity for the bad guys that we really don't wanna see them exposed.
1: Yeah, if I could just uh, jump in and, and, and just really add those are all awesome points. Um, there, um, the, 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 the specific exploits that, that uh, terrorists are talking about is they believe that um, security forces attention will be distracted elsewhere. Um, the ODNI and, and agencies are telling us that that's not the case; that they're still on the ball. But that's the, the, the perception that's coming from, from terror groups. Um, they're also counting on perhaps security being hobbled by uh, members of the military and police getting coronavirus themselves. We've seen that happening in New York with a lot of officers falling ill. Um, and then they're also um, looking on, uh, looking at the possibility of taking advantage of. Uh, instability in regions that were kind of already hanging by a thread you know one of the really important areas right now is Africa um, where you know AFRICOM has warned that Al Qaeda and Isis have been teaming up in West Africa um, and that's something unprecedented that that they haven't seen any in any in any other regions Um, but you know these are governments that you know they can barely fight the terrorists on their soil uh you know nonetheless you know have a, a pandemic come at them and you know have mass casualties happening because they don't have the medical infrastructure they don't have the ventilators et cetera. um so i think those are those are three or those, the, 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 those are a, a few areas that terrorists are specifically looking to exploit
0: Yeah, I I think that all makes all of this very interesting, especially as we, you know, I think we're really looking at people who have started to shift focus now to, oh, when can I get going again? When can I open up these stores again? When can I get together in in gatherings and such? And I I feel a sense of concern, you know, that when these situations come up, that these are really going to be target-rich environments. And it's really something that we really need to, organizations really need to consider and look at when they decide what is the what are the steps and what are the milestones we need to set for being reasonable to safely open things back up not just from a biohazard standpoint but also from a physical security standpoint and, and countering these various threats that both you bridget you and Travis have brought up so but let me switch focus here to talking about you know, surveillance measures and, and, and some of these restrictions that we're talking about. You know, what does this mean moving forward as we've seen governments implement various forms of security apparatuses, taking a little bit more control in some countries than others. Uh, we've seen some of these surveillance capabilities via drones. We've also seen police, uh, you know, going door to door in some places with people with out-of-state license plates. We've seen the Chinese implement a tracker you know it's supposed to be a you know a green amber red tracker that allows determines whether an individual can gain access to certain areas these are all being argued for as in the in the best interest of public health but are they really are these controls that are really going to be used now moving forward uh, in other ways, and so let me just start with you, Bridget. What, what do you kind of think of when you see some of these new surveillance measures being employed?
1: Well, first, let me say I'm taking it from the standpoint of being one of the high risk people. I have asthma, so I've been hiding indoors for a long time. Um, you know the the UPS man tried to come talk to me the other day. I literally ran from him. it's like zombie land out there for me. so um, so I want some sort of handle on you know where the infection is happening how many people actually have it who has antibodies to it um you know was the flu that i had in february really coronavirus you know things like that um but as far as some of these surveillance measures um you know for example uh you know china's uh coding system you know with the the green amber red tracker you know these an authoritarian society isn't going to want to divulge the the true number of ill people if it's something that will um, come across as as you know uh, being uh, an issue that's hobbling their strength at all. Um, so uh, you know I'm not even trusting of of that um, that that you know, methodology going on. So, you know, I would just kind of, you know, caution and say, you know, which of these things are window dressing and which of these things are, you know, actually making an impact on, you know, getting a handle on on where COVID is and how it's doing, so.
0: Yeah, great point. So Travis, from your vantage point, how do you feel about this when you see these implemented?
2: Well, as, as you and Annie know that, you know, and that's not a shameless plug, my, my parent burned well, and this is what we do uh, on many different levels, including keeping track of all the different protests and why and where around the globe. And, you know, one of the things we're seeing an incredible spike in here in the last week, and we, we, you know, we just put out a forecast about this, of what's going to happen. Um, is the, the social unrest piece is really starting to, to creep up and not just in, in the extremist side, but in just the general population about wariness, you know, from the economic anxiety and the social isolation anxiety to whereby, you know, this juxtaposition, this balancing act that state and local localities are trying to do with a, with regard to the surveillance domestically is really starting to get uh, pushback, um, it, whether they're doing it by roadblocks or, or by drones, um, you know, the privacy piece uh, on a broader context is, is even more difficult uh, to get past. You know, the NIH is trying to do a study now with looking for volunteers and some of the volunteers are uh, afraid about how that information is going to be used on the antibody testing, you know, which is uh, which then gets into, you know, the accuracy of, of that and what kind of population do you get into and how are you going to, you know, get around these issues, particularly if there would come requests um, by, if you go into, you know, a doctor's office or something and have blood drawn for some other reason, will be mandated that that has to be tested and that information communicated. So, you know, these broader societal questions are really gonna be problematic, particularly as we try to come forward in the fall. You know, South Korea has actually used this kind of a system, uh, you know, and they're pretty democratic. Um, in terms of being able, and this would help Bridget, of knowing who around you um, in that particular area has been you know, tested positive. But again, the the privacy issues with that, um, and we're already seeing this happen in the states with regard to the awakening, and it should have happened decades ago, but the awakening of just how advertising IDs and tracking are used for surveillance in, in the states. So it's an extremely complicated question, one that has been driven To the forefront now, I think, especially as Congress comes back in the fall and and then trying to manage this disease is really going to be problematic going forward. And it it, it is, it's a balancing act. There's both public good and then privacy. And I don't know where we're going to cut on that.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's you hit that last part there re- really good. I, I think it's it's one of those things where this has caused these issues to come to the forefront now, and it will be very challenging to see where we go from on, on the corporate side as well as public policy moving forward. So, great, great input. Thank, thanks, Travis. Andy, from your
3: vantage point, what, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think it's a really good point of being brought up, and I think yeah, there's there's a couple ways to look at it for me. Um, as the individual, right? So from, from the government standpoint, the concern I think is when we we give government authority to secure us in any, any number of ways, to include extra ability for surveillance and monitoring of individuals' movement and, and things of that nature, governments are very reluctant to give that uh, authority back, right? We saw that, I mean, if you look at the Patriot Act, um, you know, that was passed with a lot of government authority. And, you know, some of those uh, things that seemed really important at the time, their their necessity may have passed a while ago, um, but it's hard to see government giving those uh, permissions back and, and handing back power to the individual once it's acquired. That's a challenge in the United States or the United Kingdom or other Western nations, um, all the more so, you know, if, 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 if you're in Iran or China, um, I doubt those governments are gonna, you know, Pass on the the new capabilities they have to monitor individuals you know, minority groups uh, individuals they determine to be threatening and that 's a concern that 's definitely a concern on on the other side while we spend a lot of time you know harping about you know government um, ability for surveillance we, we give we give that privacy up all the time right I know we all you know ruthlessly scrutinize every terms of use agreement that we click on as we're trying to download some new app or something like that but you know, if you look at some, some great initiatives like what Apple and Google are talking about to help share information so we can all better understand if we've come into contact with somebody that may be infected, that, that's great capability, but it comes at the cost of sharing information that, that we should just be cognizant of. And, you know, a, a part of me always thinks, well, better in the hands of the industry than in government, but we've seen where, where that can be misused too, right? Data can be sold, data can be used in different ways, and it's just giving up some of our own privacy and rights whether it's by, by voluntary you know, acceptance of, hey, I want to be part of this program because it's good for me, I think, or it's the government taking on you know, new roles and, and abilities and authorities they didn't have before. All of them have you know, pretty deep personal um, privacy and personal security implications is that data could be always be compromised as all data you know, seems to be compromised at some point or another. So there, there, are, there are concerns about that. Um, and we have to sort of assess what's what's most effective for me and our community right now. And am I willing to give up some of that privacy for the greater good? I think a lot of us are. But at the same time, can we do that in a way that respects the individual's rights? And at some point, can those permissions be uh, taken back so that we don't have you know, random tracking of individuals that hopefully wouldn't be abused here in the United States, but always could be, and almost certainly will be abused by certain regimes as they use that. And they've used other information in the past to... Scrutinize, surveil, and, and in many cases abuse minority groups and others that they see as threats.
0: Yeah, that's a great thoughts, Andy. I think it's it's really thought provoking as we move forward to and how this is going to be addressed and how this is going to be used as as things happen and restrictions do eventually loosen up. The economy comes back in place, and and I think it, I think that's a good point I think to end on I think this is something that I've really enjoyed this conversation discussion I had a couple other things on the agenda but I really want to make sure that we we kind of end on that on that note there and and move forward but before we officially wrap everything up I want to give each of our panelists uh, an opportunity for uh, a parting shot and also if there's anything they need to plug or or a Twitter handle or a social media handle they want to they want to put in there uh, Bridget
1: Well, I think that uh, right now on the name of social distancing, Jimmy G needs to work on his drawing game um, because (laughs) the handoffs that he relies on are really kind of COVID friendly, so he kind of needs to stop that. Um, But uh, I I do want to to let people know about um, a webinar that we're going to be having at Homeland Security today on April 23rd. Uh, It's for uh, law enforcement, Homeland Security people. Um, and we'll be talking about uh, domestic extremism um, in conjunction with uh, the FBI uh, and with, uh, you know, uh, former neo-Nazis, and so it's going to be a, a really, uh, really awesome time, and I'll be talking about how, um, how white supremacist propaganda is, is kind of borrowing from ISIS propaganda. Um, and uh you can follow me at bridget c j on Twitter, and hopefully everybody comes and reads h s today because we've got a lot of stuff going on um, across all the- all of the areas of homeland security right now and uh, and a lot of of great coronavirus coverage as well
0: yeah i'll I'll echo that point um, th- they do a lot of great work at homeland security today we've been uh, a lot of some of the materials that we produce have made it to that site, and we're very appreciative of that uh, and the cooperation with Bridget and, and the team over there. Uh, Travis, how about you?
2: Uh, yeah, parting shot. The You know, I have a 95-year-old stepfather who uh, was born in 1925 and grew up during the Great Depression and then at 19 got sent uh, to war and got wounded in the Battle of the Bulge. And his message has always been, you know, it's not that big a deal. You'll get you guys. We're going to get through this, and uh, I always enjoy talking to him and, and you know listening to him talk about two decades of, of, of misery and how you know the inconvenience we're feeling about sitting at home uh, versus what the Greatest Generation did is always very humbling to me. Um, as a parting shot, I mean not a parting shot, but a plug. Um, again, you know, Welland, we put together our recent uh, activism forecast going forward in the future here once uh, restrictions are lifted about uh, what we expect to happen and, and how the, uh, the campaigns and tactics are changing both on the right and the left. And um, obviously anybody wants to contact me at TravisMoran at, Travis at please do, uh, or at Drone On to follow me on Twitter. And I greatly appreciate uh, the opportunity. Bridget's thoughts were great, uh, insights as well as Andy's and, and David. I just really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no, we really appreciate your, uh, your involvement here, Travis. So thank you a lot. And, and again, he, Travis, if you do follow him on on Twitter, which I strongly recommend, you'll get a lot of really good perspective and insight in addition to the Groundhog Day photos. Um, but, you know, great, great, uh, great way to end there, Travis. I, I appreciate the, and I appreciate the service uh, from, from your family's histories. Um, Andy, anything to end on?
3: No, I'll just say thanks to, to Bridget and Travis for taking part in this. You guys bring just so much great insight to the conversation. Really appreciate that and all that you guys do. HS today And Travis, with your analysis and your expertise, it's, it's really great stuff. I think it's just an, it's an important topic, right? I mean, we've, we've done several podcasts in a row, the, the 95% of which focuses on coronavirus. And that's not going to change in the immediate future because it continues to dominate everything else going on around us. So I think, you know, thinking through this and some of those different challenges we're experiencing is, is really important for us to do and for all organizations and individuals to do because this is a, an interesting and unique environment for us and we, we can't lose sight of some of these evolving and, and persistent threats that we've got to be aware of. So it's, it's a really great conversation. Thanks for letting me be a part of it. Dave, thanks for moderating. And again, Bridget and Travis, thanks so much for, for sharing today, it was great.
1: And thank you, Travis, Dave, and Andy.
0: Yeah, no, thank, thank you all. It, it, it was a great discussion. Um, And I do appreciate you guys all for participating in this group effort. You know, if I were to end on anything, I I, I would just say is the the threat never stops. I think it's one thing to be, you know, understand that we're in these restrictive environments and, and there is a tendency to be bored or to sit there and say, what do I have to look forward to every day? There are threat actors that are actively looking to exploit these situations, whether it's in the physical world, or whether it's in the cyber world, and so I would just encourage everyone to stay vigilant. And so, with that, uh, we do have our regular Gate 15 podcast that will be coming up with Andy, Jen, and I. It'll be back in a couple weeks, um, and we have more. And we're looking forward to having some more news moving forward about potential more offerings uh, in the future. And so, I think we'll definitely have to have Bridget and and Travis back on again. And I guess we can have Andy too. He can third wheel it, I guess, but. Uh, I do want to thank everyone for their time. Thank you all for listening. If you can go into your podcast platform and rate and review us, that'd be great. Um, And with that, I encourage everyone to stay safe and stay vigilant. Thank you all.